You are now locked in to the True Say Podcast, 2021's truest podcast, exploring age-old questions and concepts we reflexively ignore. In this podcast, we unpack concepts, ideas, constructs that we've come to accept without question. Think Quentin Tarantino meets 60 Minutes, where we start at the end and finish at the beginning. Except, in this podcast, we only need 43. So, stay locked in, get comfortable, because today's edition is one you won't forget. Let's get into it. Ooh-wee! Now... If I started the podcast off with that sound, you must know that you're in for a good one. So right off the rip, if you're sitting down, you're at home, please be sure to get whatever beverage of choice you like, whether that be a hard beverage, soft beverage, hot beverage, or cold. Right now, I'm enjoying a nice cold beverage. Just to prove it, you know, a little ASMR for you folks. Um before you clicked on this podcast, you know for a fact that this edition of the True Say podcast is going to be a pretty serious one. Um, the title reads, If Everyone Loves a Good Car Crash. Now, you've probably heard everyone loves a good train wreck, but of course, True Say had to put a little spin on it for the purposes of this podcast being unique and genuine. So once again, we're locked in for 43 minutes. We're going to start at the end and wrap around to the beginning, the end being modern day. Now, Let's get right into it. So off the rip, not too many qualifiers for this conversation. I feel like there's not too much I need to qualify, honestly. Um, You're going to hear me name drop a few folks. I might be actually sharing with you my limited knowledge of German. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with you my limited knowledge once again about philosophers or even, you know, my expertise with Carl Jung and his id complex and the shadow complex, which are the shadow side of of human personality, which you'll hear more about and um, talking a little bit about, you know, so- Socrates and his thoughts on on, on psychology and, and the dynamic that that plays on people's um, appreciation or attraction to macabre, macabre being like people's interest or desire to see horrifying or gore, for instance. So everyone was a good car crash. What I mean by that now, picture this, you are driving down the highway, you know, commuting from, let's say, home to school or home to work or home to see a loved one, whatever the case may be, you're on the road. And uh, for all my drivers out there, there's nothing like, you know, traveling at a good, decent speed and making good time. Lo and behold, bam, you're hit with a a traffic jam, right? You're like, what the man? I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, right? So you're, you're looking ahead. You don't see any type of construction signs. You don't see any type of, you know, melee per se that's blocking your, your, your route. But as you continue to move at a cross pace, you realize, oh, snap, there must have been an accident ahead of me on the road, right? So me personally, I can't speak for you. But now, you know what? Some people want to liken it to, you know, suppressing a sneeze. I want to liken it to picking a scab. Like, you know, for a fact, you shouldn't pick a scab, right? But there's just like a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of of adrenaline, a little bit of, you know, excitement you get from picking a scab and or, you know, just the power and squeezing a pimple. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is, but there's just something about it that you know you're not supposed to do it. But for some reason, you're still drawn to doing it, right? Now, for the many of us who have good self-control, we're able to say, you know what? No, true say, don't do it. 
You know if you pick that scab, you're just going to feel worse later. You know if you pop that pimple, it might leave a scar. So, back to the, the topic at hand. When you're driving down the road and you see it, you come to the realization that there's a car crash. Now, I know for a fact you're all thinking the same thing I'm thinking. There's this intrinsic motivation now to go and look. Because reason. what's the reason behind the traffic jam? Not only the fact that so many people have taken the time to slow down right before the actual accident to look at whatever carnage or melee has transpired. Not many times because they have some type of altruistic desire, not because they're trying to protect themselves to see, oh, I hope it's not a loved one. No, it's purely for the sheer pleasure. It's a pleasure-seeking type behavior. Now, there's more to it, right? They've slowed down, they've caused an act, they've caused a backup of traffic, and they've essentially stopped to go and gaze upon this morbid experience, right? There's obviously a high likelihood that somebody got vitally injured or critically injured, sorry, during this accident. And so why is it that people want to stop and stare? So I did a little bit of research, you know, just to flesh out my own thinking and my own premise for this podcast or this edition of the True Say podcast, only to more or less reinforce some of the ideas I had. Now, first I was thinking about it. Is this like sadism? You know, is it just people just like to see people getting injured? Do they want to see, uh, you know, bad things happen to people, which is a part of it? Is it, you know, purely voyeuristic? Do people just feel good knowing that somebody else is suffering? I mean, that's part of it as well. Or is it is it like a physiological reaction? Are we inclined as human beings to view upon this, you know, I don't want to say visceral, this explicit undoing of someone's vitality, this explicit, um, terrible event, you know, is an experience that people are necessarily not planning. I mean, by, by definition, an accident was unplanned. So is it that it's reinforcing our own mortality? Is that why we're so inclined to want to see what happened just to reinforce the idea that it could happen to any of us? So unpacking that a little bit let's get back into it so we are currently in a world of cancel culture right so this is kind of where my mind went when i was thinking about this question and uh, unlike more people who think oh you know it's just i enjoy seeing other people's day get ruined no it's not, we're not going to get into that but I, I i was unpacking and trying to juxtapose it to modern day society and it really brought to mind this idea of the cancel culture now just bear with me we are all I'm going to reasonably assume that we're all familiar with celebrity scandal. I'm going to all assume that we're reasonably familiar with scapegoats. And now, with that being said, we're all familiar with cancel culture. Now, there's a certain inclination to watch these celebrity scandals, to watch people's personal business be uh, shared amongst the masses, you know, these exposés, so to speak, about people's inner workings in the relationships, inner workings of their own doing that they never they nevertheless wanted to be exposed, but they're here now, right? We all get to participate in the public um, degradation of someone's life, right? So I think what I'm seeing now in an accident without having some kind of personal relationship, without knowing who that person is, you get to witness this. Now, the funny thing about it, or I shouldn't even say the funny thing, the sad thing about it is a lot of the time, I'm now thinking that not only is there a a ability for everyone to have this shared experience on the highway, right? 
it's almost as if you're a part of a community of the people who have good fortune. So you want to really enjoy the fact that you have good fortune because you were not in said accident. accident. And all those that come behind you now need to be reinforced that, look, this could have happened to you had you not followed the rules of the road. Let this be an example to you, right? So there's got to be some kind of communal feeling there that must come from somewhere. And we'll get to that when we get to the latter portion of going to the beginning. So, and then this is another thing that comes to mind. How often do you not feel the need after you've come across an accident on the road to go and tell somebody, right? For majority of people, me, I'm definitely excluding myself from this group because whenever I see an accident, I kid you not, I make it a explicit point in my mind to not draw my eyes away from my destination. I do not turn left or right because I do not believe in shortening, sorry, extending my trip to get a view of these people's demise or this person or a group of people, their, you know, their, their bad luck. I just don't see the point in it. So back to the point of when you get to your destination, there still probably is some kind of reflexive or, you know, inclination you have to go in and share the fact that you witnessed an accident, right? And then with that, you have people bringing up their own shit experiences of witnessing an accident or talking about some other melee that transpired in the day just to continue talking about these these negative effects. Right. So what I gather from that is there must be some kind of a psychological relationship we were drawn to b physiological experience we have that we may not be able to put a finger on, but has been whether it be reinforced throughout time or it's been identified or institutionalized i don't quite know so i kept on with that thinking and then back to my whole point about media which is going to probably come up in a lot of my editions of the podcast but for the sake of argument let's focus on media we're introduced to psychological thrillers we're introduced to crime we're introduced to gore and horror so there's obviously an appetite for it there's obviously an industry behind it so now is it because when we're, when we're watching a car crash, is it because we know this is not fiction? It's nonfiction? Is this real? Is that what makes it that much more exciting for some people to stop and stare at? Or is it the fact that it reinforces someone's own mortality that reinforces the need for them to want to stop and watch? Because not only does it re- not only does the the effect of seeing an accident reassure you that oh i need to be very careful while i'm driving on this road because obviously i do not want that to be my immediate future there must be some kind of reassurance that okay this person's gotten into an accident that must have protected against a number of other variables being people are no longer going to take uh breaks or sacrifice their ability to focus on the road because now they see something bad's happened and they don't want to continue that pattern. So everybody now who's passed this accident has a has a, a visual stimulus to say, look, keep your eyes on the road. Be careful. Right. So there is this talk of moralists and theologians who discuss, you know, our inclination our desire to watch these very negative gory or macabre type experiences in society as the worst part of humanity this dark side of humanity and as we all know from the beginning of time there's always been presented this good and dark side so now whenever i'm i'm watching people driving down the road you know a pretty innocuous experience 
stop and stare at accidents, I'm getting a very visceral uh, reminder of the dark side of humanity. And I realized to myself, is it because I want to, you know, exclude or barricade my own dark side as to why I don't want to actually look and turn when I see a car accident? Is it because I feel like I'm above my dark side? It doesn't exist. Or is it simply me just once again trying to stave off that very, very you know, satisfying experience of picking that scab? I know I, I know I want to. It's obviously been itching or it's been, I feel good knowing I've done it, even though it does nothing for me. But the reality is it's still in, it's still there. There's an incessant need to do it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actively trying not to look at that car crash. So it's, is it really that I'm, I'm better, you know? So I, I, I was like, okay, let's think about this even more, true say. So, you know what? It's the same thing I talked about with watching Celebrity Scandal. It's the same thing I talked about with seeing people's careers get dismantled or seeing people's lives get dismantled. There's a certain community aspect to it. There's a certain physiological response you get from it, obviously, whether it be a dopamine rush, adrenaline rush, or, you know, just a, a vassal constriction where your blood pressure goes up and you just feel more alive, you know, hype. So let's think about this. Whenever you're at work or at school or talking amongst peers, not, not friends, peers, there's a litmus test that many of us do to, to ascertain who within this group or collection of people can we really identify with? Who can we show our true selves to? You know what I'm saying? So what many people do is they take these types of events like people's you know, celebrity scandal, um, car crashes, but even getting more personal, they'll take the bad, uh, bad luck or not bad luck, but let's talk about, let's think about, um, not talk about, let's, let's be a bit more specific. Um, let's think about somebody who has recently been let go or somebody who didn't do score, didn't score so well on a test or somebody who just come across bad fortune. And for instance, talked about uh, a great opportunity that they were going to take advantage of before it actually came to fruition. And lo and behold, it fell through. Isn't going to happen anymore. And You'll always notice one person who takes that leap of faith and will go and offer that up for conversation with a certain judgy kind of attitude or tone associated with it. Like, you know, oh, isn't it, doesn't it suck how, or isn't it hilarious how this person has, um, you know, didn't get that job promotion? Or, you know, I can't stand this, I can't say I can't stand, but you know, doesn't it suck that so-and-so wasn't able to get that raise? Or doesn't it suck that so-and-so was going to use that insurance money to buy the new car they talked about, but the insurance claim wasn't wasn't approved? You know, and it's like, wait a second. Why are you so happy to hear about this person's bad luck? Why is it that you're taking pleasure out of knowing somebody's life isn't going as well as they want it to go, right? So I, I, I talk about it because, you know, still sticking to that idea of this community, like I mentioned a bit earlier, finding community in someone else's macabre or, or bad luck is or, or in their tragedy for instance is you know it's actually therapeutic for some people 
I think some people find therapy in being able to revel in somebody else's demise. And it's even that therapeutic effect is amplified when you can share it with, with others and you all revel in somebody else's demise. There must be something there that people are drawn to and people are you know, adamant about sharing it. Because I mean, there's many people who want to share and you can tell, like, whoa, that's not cool. And I, I know not to tell you anything because you'll be the first person to spill the beans. But there's so many people who find pleasure in spilling your dark secret or spilling your dark experience because they get pleasure from it. So I think it's like an emotional catharsis for a lot of people. It just allows them to you know, release whatever kind of stresses they're going through. It allows them to finally feel at ease with the own with the ongoings in their own life. And it's it's interesting because once again, when I mentioned that idea about, you know, your dark side or your good side, I think it's somebody who's playing into their dark side a bit more. And many of the, the theologians or the moralists who I talk to about would say, although this is the worst part of humanity, it is still a part of humanity that needs to be appreciated to some extent. So all that to say, I still don't believe that stopping and looking at a car crash will do anything for my for my own sanity or for my own humanity. I definitely don't find it, you know, worthwhile to stop and look, but I just felt the need to talk about it because I've never quite understood it and having explored the topic a bit more, it's it starting to I'm starting to realize and put you know draw some connections I think that necessarily weren't aren't really explicit for many of us or it isn't something that we actively think about and I'm like okay there's something there right there's there's just there's just more to it so I wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of um, you know the sheer mortality we witness in car crashes. Or like, you know, how vivid your mortality becomes while witnessing your car crash. I mean, the one thing I do know it does, aside from reinforcing good driving practices, it also gives you, you know, a great sense of your own mortality. It tells you in that moment that somebody's mortality was at risk. It tells you that there are experiences, there are Things in this life you can't take for granted. So once again, let's pause an example. A working example is we witness a car accident on the highway. And then within that highway, within that accident, we notice that two people, you know, unfortunately met their premature demise, right? So when you're seeing that, you are going to probably be like, wow, feel blessed to be alive, I would hope. And then furthermore, you're going to think about all the things you would do going forward, all the things you want to take advantage of, all the things you want to really appreciate. It's the same old adage you see in every television show. Somebody has a near-death experience. They then tell, or they're, they're on the brink of death. They begin to get down on hands and knees. They look up to the skies and they say, please, please, you know, if you are to save my life, I will do better. I'll pray every day. I'll be a good person. I'll drink more water. I'll eat my veggies. I'll promise to take out, I'll promise to pick up my dog's my dog's uh, feces every time I walk by my neighbor's house. I promise I'll do all these things, right? And then it's like when they are saved from their potential demise or they are able to skirt death, they fall back into old habits. But the one thing we can, I think, all agree on is that in that moment, there is still this quick 
very, very, very quick and comprehensive reflection of the experiences they know are worth holding on to, the behaviors they know are worth letting go, the behaviors they know are worth continuing, and you know what holds value and what doesn't, what to ignore and what to put significance into. And I think that element is not highlighted enough when you're thinking about driving by a car crash. I think there's so many unconscious I feel like people arrive at their destinations not really taking or appreciating all the different uh, thoughts and thoughts and uh, held beliefs or values that are flashed in your mind. I think as you're being stimulated by this external stimuli, and I think we're being conditioned to just think that looking at a car crash is nothing more than you just having your own desire for macabre. Or viewing macabre. And I keep on saying macabre, but it's really and truly just viewing viewing gore or viewing potential calamity because we're all drawn to that. We're seeing it on the news 24-7. And all that calamity we see on the news has that one central uh, thread that you can attach to every, every form. There is suffering there. And back to my initial point, through that suffering, many of us are able to a appreciate our own status or our quality of life. We're all able to appreciate our own comforts, and also can release or you know have that emotional catharsis. We can re- relieve ourselves. We can think about our lives relative to those who are suffering, and that puts things into perspective, which we can then further appreciate all the blessings that we we may have taken for granted. So now, in the true say tradition, we're going to go to the beginning to end off this edition of the podcast. So, like I mentioned, I really hope you have been sipping slowly on that beverage, whether it's hot or cold. Uh, I really hope you are paying attention because we're about at the halfway point of all my editions, only going to 43 minutes. So, um, if you want to take a break now, let me know. Okay, good, we'll keep it going. So, going to the beginning... Right, Carl Jung mentioned the shadow side. So, for those of you who don't know, Carl Jung is a I want to say ancient, but a pretty uh, fundamental or foundational uh, philosophers or psychologists, I should say, who spent a lot of time theorizing and and postulating on the different uh, on the complexity of the human psyche. He came up with the id complex. Uh, and what I'm referring to now is a, as a shadow side, which is, I don't think, very studied very often. But it's the shadow side or dark side of humanity, like I mentioned earlier, earlier, sorry, that pushes us toward horror, pushes us toward violence. It's what essentially pushes you to taking a gander at that car crash at the side of the road. And, and I think it's that same thing that macabre, that macabre side, that side that's so driven to look at gore and horror and things of that nature that's essentially where it comes from. So it's in it's it's innate. It's in us. And to like I mentioned before, to completely try and barricade it or cage it in is actually just doing a disservice. So when I mentioned to you earlier that I'm not the kind of person to want to even stop and view the car crash, for some that might be unhealthy. I mean, it might be better for me to look. I mean, I might get some relief, right? I might feel better about myself or better about my own my own life status or quality of life given that somebody else has suffered some kind of calamity. But I digress. So 
that's where this whole dark side of humanity, not where it comes from, but he's one of the first people to have kind of uh, assigned a definition or provided some kind of theory to help us better understand what's what these inner workings of our own psyche that we may not have actually uh, fully appreciated. So there's that. There's actually an, another element that I want to kind of bring up, still staying on that same token of, of uh, the human psyche, being uh, there's a German phrase that that sounds like this or so if you'll if you allow me my german is a bit rusty but schadenfreude which the direct translation isn't uh very grammatically correct but it translates to harm joy in english which is essentially saying we see harm we get joy out of it so thinking about carl jung thinking about schadenfreude um you know, it's about taking pleasure in somebody else's demise. So I bring up an interesting character, Oedipus Rex, who was also a, a famous Greek story. And I know about Oedipus from my, my psychology courses back in uh, when I was doing my bachelor's degree. But during that period of time, you were told that there's an Oedipus complex, right? And then for those of you who don't know Oedipus, Oedipus is this, uh, essentially he, he was a Greek king, but the interesting story about Oedipus is that he slayed his own father, so he committed what's referred to as patricide, or once again, having murdered his own father. And further to that, I mean, one cardinal sin wasn't enough for this guy. He also took his mother as his wife, so in addition to patricide he also performed incest so there's a point in the play where you learn more about oedipus um and the actual i don't remember the name of the tragedy i think it's um oedipus the king something like that there's a scene in the play where the members of his community the you know further uh, ancient Greek folk are witnessing his untimely, uh, what's well, not demise, but this unraveling of his own psyche, having com completed all these atrocities, which we, of which we would basically all refer to as atrocity. I think that's fair to say. Um, as his onlookers are seeing him come to the realization that not only is he a horrible leader, but he killed his own father to to assume this leadership role, but also. Um, you know, took his mom as his wife and, 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 you know, had relations with his mother, which is a cardinal sin. Um, his mother decided to commit suicide and she hung herself with him as a witness. And seeing that unraveling amongst all of his subordinates or the citizens of the, the sovereign land that he had sovereignty over, he decided to gouge his own eyes out. So, Within this story, there are a number of people who were watching this and taking pleasure in seeing this king, this oppressor, this ruler who was a tyrant, essentially, which I should have mentioned earlier. They took pleasure in knowing that he this was his downfall. Not only was he a bad person, but they're learning all these horrible things he's done. And they can feel better about their own conditions and their own uh, quality of life or where they stand in terms of their position in society. And... And therein lies the whole schadenfreude. They see harm happening to somebody. They take joy in it. Now, what's so compelling, as I continue to unpack this, there's 
there's examples of schadenfreude or like we mentioned before a term to describe at least um, this grubby delight for lack of a better term this joy in seeing other people suffering this is not only exclusive to german um, there's the japanese they have a saying where it's the misfortune of others tastes like honey um, in french the speak of joy maline you know a delight in a, a diabolical delight in um other people's suffering there's a, a term for schadenfreude that's or the equivalent term for schadenfreude in danish is a uh, scadafried or in in hebrew it's sinchaleid um there's there's a term in russian it's lordatsvo there's even terms in papua new guinea and it's ban ban banam and it's crazy because, or not crazy, but what's so funny as we kind of go back in this history, looking at this from an ethnicity kind of perspective, there are all these ways that other cultures have gone on to diagnose or define this feeling. But for the life of me, I can't find an English word or English phrase that, you know, captures it to the same, uh, not gratitude, the same, has the same gravitas, has the same weight, has the same appeal as these other terms I just basically, you know, walked over for you. I mean, we have Carl Jung, who at least, you know, a modern day psychoanalyst, not modern day, I shouldn't say that, but a psychoanalyst, you know, a progenitor of the, uh, the entire field of psychoanalysis and psychiatry probably, came up with this idea of the shadow side of our ego, sorry, shadow side of our psyche. It was allowing us to see that this is an innate, aspect of humanity an innate aspect of being human that we should embrace and not be afraid of but when we think about the topic at hand today about um, enjoying that of a good car crash i feel like another feature is we often feel entitled to enjoying or relishing the suffering of somebody who we don't believe deserved that comeuppance or didn't deserve that blessing. It's almost like a deserved punishment or we are being hypocritical because we feel like that person must have been breaking the law, for instance. They must have been driving too fast, right? They must have been trying to change lanes without turning on their indicator. They must have been... I don't know, distracted driving on their cell phone. So there's almost like this idea that, okay, we're viewing this incident and we're almost thinking like, okay, there must be some reason why it happened and this punishment that's been bestowed upon you was deserved. Um, uh, and I mean, there are so many examples of how Schadenfreude, there are so many examples of how this rubbernecking type behavior has been captured in literature. Um, like, Today's humanists, as they like to refer to, they, they find this this topic awkward. But if you do a simple Google search, you'll see that a variety of people are researching. A variety of people are writing about this. Um, in my reading, I saw that a psychologist by the name of Simon Baron Cohen uh, he pointed out that psychopaths are not only detached from other people's suffering, but even enjoy it. And it's little wonder that when we, when we say when we feel Schadenfreude, even though it feels right in the moment because it's apparently like born of humanity, it's a, a trait that is born within our, psych our psyche, it also feels very wrong because there must be limits to it. And although Carl Jung and 
many of his uh, many of the people who followed in his academic lineage may not have explored, uh, sorry, explored, explored the different restrictions that we should apply to our uh, ability to participate in harm, joy, or participate in um, this behavior. They do exist. Then now it's almost as if um, since we've been felt to or we've been driven to no longer exploit that behavior, it's almost taboo, so to speak, in culture to be reveling in the pain and suffering of others. We do it in this very, very innocuous, quote unquote, way. Um, but truthfully, we can't ever know whether we're actually experiencing more now than we are before. I feel like it's ubiquitous now, you know, jumping back to modern day time and kind of wrapping this all up and juxtaposing the two. It's almost as if now the we're, we're surrounded by a plethora of media sharing with us the downfalls and the shortcomings of many people and how those events came to pass. We may really never know the all the moving parts that came to play, but the bottom line is we're in a day and age where we are always ever, ever presently exposed to bad things happening to people, right? And one, the example I chose to focus on today was the car crash, but there are a variety of different examples of people's um, shortcomings being something that you see others reveling in. I mean, we live in a culture where there's likes and shares for things that have gone wrong in people's lives. We live in a culture where it's almost as if it's social protocol to highlight bad things that have happened to people, uh, highlight someone's, uh, not demise, I'm saying that a lot, but you know, highlighting someone's inability to be successful. And there, the, the spinoffs, the, the tweets, the posts, the stories, even the podcasts plug that talk about these things are, you know, all one and the same. I don't know if it's a question of, is it, a, you know, a psychological thing? Is it philosophical? Is it neuroscience based? Like what is driving all of this interest? Now, there's no doubt that it's partly because of the Internet age. It's partly because people are always looking for something new to talk about. Um, it's partly because we know we're going to get a reaction out of people when we bring up these incidents. Uh, I mean, it's got to be that there's an element of, you know, people are just obnoxious. Uh, that water cooler whom I talked about earlier where, you know, you want to have something to bring to conversation when you're, when you're around that water cooler in your office or at a gym or, you know, whatever that, whatever that shared space is. There has to be something in that communication, that collective feeling, that shared experience that you know everyone can identify with. Maybe there's more to it there. Maybe it's just that ability to draw those connections. But Carl Jung and Nietzsche and all those different um, progenitors of those, those phrases from each respective culture, they didn't really speak to that in particular, but they were at least able to identify and they had this positive connotation towards it as well, too. It wasn't that it was, oh, um, you know, this is a feeling that's going to happen and, and that's it. No, they, they applied this level of happiness. They applied this this sense that when you are experiencing someone else's suffering, you get joy from it, knowing that you are not going through that suffering. And obviously there must be some benefits to it. Uh, I mean, it when we think about the car crash example again, 
Is it that would it make a big difference if we saw the person driving a Jaguar as composed as a compared to a uh, a Renault, you know, or a, <laughs> not a Renault, but like a, a Honda or a, a Toyota Corolla? You know, would, would it would it would it alleviate your inferiority or inferiority, sorry, or alleviate your envy because you know that the person's driving a vehicle that maybe you couldn't afford so you feel better knowing that oh well obviously you were too happy with your new car or your your very luxurious car and now you've gotten into an accident now you're going to feel you know have to live in the same quality of life that i have is it like once again can you bond over that smugness with a colleague you know can you bond over that smugness with a loved one and sharing that that you know, reveling in that feeling that it's okay to be happy about somebody else's shortcomings. Um, and I mean, right now, it just seems as if we're living in an age where schadenfreude, harm, joy, um, enjoying that honey taste from someone else's suffering is honestly leading us astray. I feel like what's happening is that there's so much, um, it's so misanthropic that we are engaging in a behavior that obviously is distinctively human and ingrained in the way we live but nobody is taking it upon themselves to identify that the behavior is wrong and the the behavior should be consciously removed and although there is this this element to it that you know psychoanalysts or psychologists and philosophers have gone on to identify exists in our community and exists in our society it exists in us as a as a species it is something that should be weeded out. I don't think there should ever be a time when you're looking on an accident and not feeling anything but sickness. Looking on an accident and feeling, I can't bear to look at this because just being able to participate in that experience would would really shatter my day, would really take away from my, my positivity, take away from my current feeling, take away from my current joy for life. And what's sad is that we see there are industries built on Schadenfreude. We see there are industries that are, are perpetuating it, putting the, the players and putting the pieces together to make sure that these events come to pass. We're seeing people share demise. I mean, think about the idea where now whenever there's a wrongdoing happening, the first thing, the first instinct people have is to record it. Now, there are many people who go on to, you know, completely uh, take down this behavior. I shouldn't say take down this behavior. They they do what, what's within their best ability to not perpetuate that same message. They take it upon themselves to advocate that this behavior is horrible and that sharing someone else's um, bad experience isn't a, a good way to promote your own profile or profile your own social media or, or whatever the case may be. But nonetheless, there are websites dedicated to seeing people's fails. There are, there's, there's, pop culture references to seeing fails. There's, there's memes that, that go on to show you how people have failed. There's, there are videos dedicated or, you know, con- consolidated videos that are, you know, curated to show you a variety of experiences that people have gone through that goes on to reinforce how badly things have happened to them. And let's all laugh and revel in it and then go on about our day. There's not enough to really highlight or promote the idea of community and picking up and you know helping one's brother or lending your hand to one's brother or sister there's so much more energy put into this idea of goosenecking sorry rubbernecking and um and just i felt like 
although the topic took a more comical um, beginning or started off with the idea that, you know, you shouldn't rubberneck because it impedes my ability to get from point A to point B, as, as, as well as many people who are just trying to travel on the highway or get from one, one origin to one destination. There's more to it, even though you might not feel uh, as if you're you're slowing down to a crawl space and looking on to someone's hardship isn't necessarily going to have a negative impact on them. You're feeding an element or you're feeding a, a, a part of your your own psyche that although it exists, does not necessarily need to be fed. It does not necessarily need to be satiated. You don't need to satisfy that side of yourself because I think it's, you know, it's in a line with some of the dark aspects of being a human. And I mean, it, it doesn't take much for anybody to know and, and to really conclude that humanity does have a dark side. And something as innocuous as slowing down to revel in one's, well, not revel, cause I don't want to make a broad sweeping assumption, but just the fact that you took it upon yourself to slow to a cross space and watch somebody else's car crash or look to on, look to see what kind of carnage you may see, it's not necessarily for the right reasons. And much like in our past edition, we talked about, you know, checking the price tag. Well, think about the emotional impact and the residual impact that's going to come to pass and, and experiences thereafter and how much it's going to impact your own psyche as you continue to talk about these types of events around that water cooler or when you do arrive at your destination. So with that being said, although... The topic is one that many people may or may not have actually thought of or really explored. This edition was just trying to present to you a concept or present to you a question that wasn't necessarily popular, but is ubiquitous. And I think it was worthwhile to have you spend some time with me, you know, with your beverage in hand. I know we didn't have many beverage drop, uh, beverage, I mean, sorry, many indications for you to go and refill your beverage, but I hope you found a time to pause this podcast and pause this edition and find a point in time to, you know, top up your drink. Um, so I want to do a little housekeeping before we end off. As usual, you know, this is your host, True Say, coming at you live with another edition of the True Say podcast. This is our fourth edition. I mean, we're this is just the beginning of the journey. I thank you for those who have, you know, been rocking with me since the beginning, who have participated in the True Say moment, who are my true satyrs. I'm trying to work with that for the time being. Uh, we're four deep. We have many more to go. Next week's edition is going to be looking at a very, very interesting topic, one I'm sure will be near and dear to all of your hearts. And here's a prompt just to get you excited. All the world's a stage and all men and women are merely players. So I'll leave you with that and we'll get into it next week. Once again, I'm your host, Truce, and thank you for tuning in. Peace.